everybody. It's good to see you all. My name is uh, Steve Hambrick, and uh, I am the uh, pastor here at uh, Vintage. And uh, this has been Adam Nath. If you've been here for the last several weeks, you know Adam's been leading worship here. Yes, you can. Adam's doing this in his spirit, saying it's all about Jesus, right? Exactly. There you go. He's, 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 he's T-bowing. And, um, and so... Uh, isn't that crazy? That's become a phrase for us. Anyway, but um, yeah, Adam's been uh, leading worship for the last several weeks, and uh, next week is actually his last week. Uh, he is heading back to Kansas City and, uh, and to finish out an internship he's doing there at the IHOP in Kansas City. And, uh, and then he actually, for the summer, is heading back to Alaska to be a fishing guide. And he's actually promised to pay for me a flight up there to go for a week, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, so thanks, man. No, seriously, uh, Adam's been, it's been a, been a blast. Adam's a great guy. If you haven't got a chance to know him at all, uh, you've got uh, a week. And uh, so do that. But, you know, he's living, been living as a missionary uh, for the last uh, really four years, I guess, for, for IHOP. And, and so I would say this to you. If you uh, would like to be a blessing to him, this, uh, and he's raising his support. There's all support. And if you'd like to bless him financially, I know he would re- he'd be willing to receive that. And I uh, just want to throw that out to you. Um, for, um, if you're looking to, to support or do something with money, he's a guy who, living as a missionary, would definitely uh, love to uh, let that take off your hands. So uh, that'd be good. Well, hey, listen, um, let's go ahead and take our baskets for our tithes and our offerings and pass them back down this morning. Uh, if you feel like a Connect card, just be the time to put uh, that card in there, and I will shoot you an email, like Randall said. Uh, I, actually, I just caught back up on all the emails. I spent, I guess it was all day on Tuesday. I literally spent a hat the whole morning uh, writing out emails, and, and uh, so because I, I realized that um, I was dating back to just before Thanksgiving, and uh, so that's not real good, right? And uh, so anyway. I've never been confused with someone with an administrative gift of getting things done time in a timely manner. And so, uh, anyway, so I hope you, so thank you for those of you who uh, responded to that. And uh, again, we're glad you're here. And like I said, I'll try to shoot you an email sometime in the very near future. All right, I'll give you a heads up. This was coming up. If you were here last week, we heard us talk about our year-end offering at Vintage. Uh, basically, our year-end offering is simply this: it's a time for the body for for the body for Vintage to invest into 2012 in the mission that God's given us here at Vintage. Our mission is simple. We want to transform our community, okay? And when we talk about that, we recognize, yes, that means the people that we're around here, literally in our community. But also we said, man, you can fly anywhere in the world in less than 24 hours. And so reality for us is that we really live in community with whoever God has us in relationship, whether it's here or abroad. And and so... Um, so with that, um, you know, we, we recognize that whoever God's called us into relationship with is, is a community that he's, he's called us to be, to be a part of transforming. And so, so what the year-end offering is going to be about then is simply taking what y'all give and investing it to that kingdom vision of, uh, of community transformation. The three things, we, we didn't, I didn't talk specifics last week, so I'll talk about it this week. Three specific things we're giving to. Number one, uh, we're giving to our Merchant Court apartment complex that we're giving ourselves to. Basically, just a, a, an apartment complex that we did Thanksgiving with. We did a, we did a fall festival out there. We're, so we're partnering with with Angel Tree. And so we're going to take what you guys give and just immediately set it aside so that we can take 2012 and really effectively minister and give ourselves the apartment complex. Someone may ask me, so, well, Steve, what's big picture 
for the apartment complex, and it's really simple, that someone at Vintage would say, hey, I want to be a missionary there, so I'm going to move in. I'm just going to move in, right? Because the idea is this, these people are in need of Jesus, and we would love for someone to say, hey, just like I leave my home to go to India to, to serve Jesus, I want to leave my home and come over here and really, or invest, live right next door and really become the missionary, the shepherd, the pastor of this apartment complex, right? So that'd be a perfect case scenario. So all that to say, we're going to be investing into this in 2012. Number two, we are investing into Abney Elementary School. If you've been around, you know that we have, we've been doing a kids beach club for about the past six weeks, six or seven weeks at Abney Elementary. It's literally two and a half miles this way, kind of really actually, hold on a second, how am I sitting right here? Basically this way. Is that right, Randall? Randall has no idea. Um, but basically, I think it's this way, okay? And so we've been there, and basically for the past seven weeks, we basically go every, every Thursday, not basically, we really go in, in reality, and we preach the gospel of Jesus from basically 2.15 all the way to 3.45 p.m., right? 2.15 p.m. for about an hour and a half, and we break up into small groups. We start up with about 70 kids. Man, we just go, and we've been loving on these kids. It's been a, it's been a blast. We go in. We've... We've connected with these students, over 140 students now who are a part of the Kids Beach Club here at, at Abney. It's been fantastic, right? We've connected with the teachers, connected with the administrative uh, staff. I mean, it's just been awesome. We've met new friends who've been helping us out, right? It's just been a good job over here, right? It's just good new friends we've met along the way who've been serving and helping out. It's been a lot of fun. And so we want to take what we this, we want to take this offering and then take some of that and invest it into this outreach that we're doing at Abney. It's just an incredible opportunity for us to get into schools. I mean, literally. I mean, we had talked all day along about separation in church and state, and we're walking in and just preaching Jesus at school, right? It's just been fun. I mean, no lie. I mean, it's tiring, right? We've got 140 kids, and we're like jumping up and down all over the place. We get done like, I need a nap, right? But we're having a blast. It's been a lot of fun, and God's really been moving in that. So we're going to take an investment of that. Third thing is this. We recognize that if we're going to go to the next level at Vintage, we, we, we are thankful for our volunteers. We know we need full-time people. So we're in the process right now, uh, and we're going to take some of this money to set aside and put it towards staffing for 2012. Let's be honest. Those who come along and, and take some of the weight off of our shoulders, right, will help Vintage as a whole to fulfill our vision of community transformation, specifically looking for someone to come lead worship, lead our youth. I mean, I'm doing an okay job, but someone's going to come and do a lot better job than me. And then someone come in and specifically champion discipleship at Vintage. And so with that, we're going to take our, this offering and invest into those three areas. And it should be, am I missing anything on that, babe? All right. So anyway, so it should be good. So just next, next Sunday, you can give anytime you want to, to be honest with you. But next Sunday is that Sunday specifically we're gearing towards. And if you'd like to give. And like I said, like I said last week, this is what I'm asking you to do. I simply want you to be obedient. I'm not going to throw out numbers to you and tell you what you got to give. Or I'm not going to promise blessings from heaven. I'm just going to say this. You simply sit down with your spouse and you pray and say, God, what would you have us give? And then if you're obedient and you're cool with Jesus, then you're cool with me, right? That's all I'm asking you to do. Sit down, pray, be obedient, and that's it, okay? So with that, let's jump into the morning, and that'll be good. So here's what I want to say this morning, kind of as a precursor to the message this morning. I'm going to share a message with you that every single one of you already know, okay? I'm going to share a message with you that is not profound, at least in a sense of like something new. It's like, oh my gosh, he just enlightened me, something I've never known before. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share a message with you 
that all of you probably know. But I heard Rick Joyner say one time, he said this. He said, the true essence of humility is the ability to hear something again and again and again and hear it every time as if it's the first time you've ever heard it. Okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to share a message. You could probably get up here and teach yourself, right? But in and of itself, it is a profound message of truth that specifically during this holiday season that we need to grab hold of, okay? And we need to champion. So, and I'm going to start with this. Here's the, the foundation phrase of the morning. Human beings have been created by, by God to live in light and not in darkness. Human beings have been created naturally by God to live in light and not live in darkness. If you've taken any classes, you know that your skin, literally, it functions best when it gets some level of sunlight on it, right? That, that literally, every day, you're supposed to get at least five minutes of direct sunlight to go into your eyes, because there's something that, some sort of chemical that releases into your physical body that actually helps you to function in life. I said before that if you take the human body and you go into some cave where there's literally no light. Within three to seven days, your brain shifts and you literally go crazy, right? You literally, your, your body's just not made. You literally go crazy because your body's just not made to live in darkness. And I think, you know, one of the most practical ways that we see this expressed in life is in children. Because they hate the dark. Right? How many of you, right, have kids like, Daddy, Mommy, like, what? It's too dark. Can you turn a light on for me? Right? Because they're scared of the dark. So, for example, on Thursday, Thursday, it was like one of those cold mornings, right? And so I decided, you know, it's not, it's not cool in my neighborhood, you know, and Joe and Carla will attest, it's not cool for like the dads to come drive down in the car, right? You gotta, you gotta, to be cool, like Joe comes out every morning, right? He comes out every morning, he's all dressed up like he is now, he's dressed up well, and he, and he walks out and we talk, right? And we're freezing our little bottoms off while the moms are sitting in the cars, right? Because it's the cool thing to do with the guys to get out there and be cold. So anyway, I'm sitting in Thursday mornings, so it's 38 degree mornings and I'm I'm all bundled up right I've got my ski hat on I got my gloves I got my big jacket on right and I'm I'm warm so getting ready to walk out the door and the Catherine says daddy I'm like what she's like I forgot something I'm like okay she's like it's down it's, it's down the basement and then I said something really stupid I said why don't you just go down there and get it because everybody knows kids aren't going to go to the basement by themselves without light right she goes she does, she does this she goes I said, you want me to go with you? <laughs> She's like, let's go. Right? So this is what she does, right? Here's what she does. I've got to show you real quick. It's so funny. So I'm following her, right? I'm following her to the door. And she does this. She gets right here. This is the frame of the door. She gets right here. She does this. This is the light switch over here, right? Just like this. And then she starts walking down the run down, right? That doesn't get so funny. And I'm laughing. I'm laughing. So then she comes down the corner, sure enough, gets to the bottom of the basement, comes down the stairs, and now the lights are over here. This is a wall. She's like this. She just goes. And she's like straining. Her face is turning red, straining over here to get the lights. And I'm just, and I'm laughing. I think it's so cute. And, because, and the funny thing about it is I'm sitting there, and I know exactly how she feels because I remember Every single one of you remember, right? When you were like, I don't know how old you were. I mean, I remember being 12 and 13 years old even. My dad's like, Steve, you, go down to the, you need to go down to the basement and you know, clean up the litter box. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. 
I didn't care about the litter box. I cared that it was dark down there. I'm like, Jesus. And I'm like, I'm literally praying down there, Jesus, just help nothing get me. Because there's always scary things in the basement, right? Let's just be honest. So I'm sitting there. So, so in this picture, we see even from an early age, I mean, we as children, as, as human beings, we're not created to live in darkness. It's scary. We're made to live in light because it was so funny. As soon as she hit that light, I mean, she just bolted down into it. As human beings, naturally, by God, we have been created for the light and not for darkness. So this morning, what I wanted to do, I want to, we're going to continue on and, and we're going to look, at, we're going to look at, at, at Philippi, this church in Philippi, the Philippian church. We've been looking at Philippians. Those who haven't been here a while, we are, haven't been here. We, we've actually been looking at the Philippians for like the last four or five weeks, right? And so we're going to continue on. But we're going to look at this idea of, of Paul's understanding of us being, of needing light. Because he, we know that Jesus even said, he says, John eight twelve says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, what I want to say about this is, is something simple too, is that this actually is the, mess, the true message of Christmas. This actually this morning of understanding of light coming into darkness, being created for light and not darkness, is the actual true message of Christmas. We even see in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is, he, he's left Nazareth and he's heading down to Capernaum. It's, it's basically right by the Sea of Galilee. And it says, and it says this, the people there living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You see, the understanding then of Christmas is really simple, that Jesus left the perpetual light, right? Perfection, where there is no such thing as a timeline. Heaven is beginning, middle, and end of our, of our human experience, all wrapped up in one of, of perfect light from God emanates just perfect and pure and holy light that literally shines through all of heaven, right? It represents perfect, whole light. And on Christmas, he said, well, it's time to leave this. It's time to leave perfection to go to hell. In comparison, in comparison, go to a broken place with a people and a creation that I love. But it's broken. And it represents perpetual darkness of the things that they're walking in. And so in Philippians this morning, we're going to kind of take a look at this and see how Paul kind of references this and then what he calls us to. So have your Bibles turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. If you have your Bible, you can look up here on the screen and uh, you can follow along with me. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. It says this, Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as, I have told often, for as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. The first place I want us to begin this morning is simple. Philippi, although it's very, very different from where we live, at least the things that they wrestle with and the things that they struggle with, honestly, are not much different. On number one level you see is this. Philippi actually was, was birthed uh, as a city because of the gold and the silver mines that were there. And they completely tapped them out. They called the gold and silver, which basically meant this is a very, very wealthy city. It's on a massive, major trade route. So there's lots of consumerism, right? There is probably lots of materialism. There is definitely a love for things and a love for money in this. Right? So we see this. This is a, this materialism and consumerism probably at its height. Very similar to where we live. And Roman culture was dominated, obviously, it was a, it was a, it was a Roman colony. And so it was dominated by Roman culture. Which simply means this. There's lots of things you can say about it. But for our scenario, it simply means this. They were driven by Rome and the government of Rome and ultimately not by God and not by Jesus. Which basically meant, it was hard to be a Christian here, okay? It was hard to proclaim, it was hard to get up and say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. You think Jesus is Lord? Well, yes. Well, Caesar's Lord. I'm going to kill you, right? That's the true statement, right? Like, oh my gosh, they run off and freak out. And so what I'm basically meaning is this. Just like it's hard in our culture to get up and tell people about Jesus and to pray for healing and to speak into people's lives about Jesus, the same is true here. In fact, it's even a little bit more, in fact, it's actually much more dangerous here. Someone might be mean to us here. Someone might die here in Philippi. Then you find this interesting dynamic going on in church, in church here in Philippi. What you may not know is there was a, a major, major heresy that threatened the early church, specifically in this day and age here in Philippi. It was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Okay, Gnosticism taken from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Basically, there was a guy, some leader, actually some theologians will tell you it was Simon the Sorcerer. That story reminds you of anything. Nobody really knows, but there's a possibility of Simon the Sorcerer from the book of Acts, I think chapter 9. That they literally had like this, that they think that, that they thought they had a secret gnosis, this secret knowledge about Jesus. There was kind of like an extra above and, right? And the idea was simply this. They believed that Jesus actually came down from heaven, but that he was not human being. That he was 100% spirit, but not a human being. And so they believed then that when a person became a Christian, or became a follower of Jesus, that in a sense they, they, kind, of, they're, they're, they kind of also became a spirit being themselves. And that they were actually no longer bound by their physical body. So their physical body was, was actually going to hell. It was death. It was worthless. They were spirit beings over here. But they were still having to live in this physical body. But in their physical body, they said, because we're all spirit, we can do anything we want to with our physical body. Do you see that? Because we're really spirit beings over here and our physical body is this over here, well, our physical body can do whatever it wants. In this earth. So basically they said, so we can have all the sex with whoever we want to anytime we want to. Sexual promiscuity. I mean, it was just like in, it was like facing the church. People over here saying, hey, if you come over here, you can have sex whenever you want to with anybody you want to. Wow, right? All in the name of Jesus. 
And then over here, you got to come here and say, hey, listen, we love gluttony. We're like the Epicureans. Just come and eat and eat and eat and eat. And then we're going to throw up. Purge. And then we're going to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat some more. Man, that's okay. That's kind of weird, but okay, right? We'll do that. And then they have the whole thing over here and say, and listen, we can drink all we want to and get drunk every day. In fact, we can live drunk because God doesn't really care. Our spirit beings are over here with him in heaven. We're just a physical body. A physical body can do whatever it wants. And so all these things that we name, how many of those things do you think define the culture in which you live today? I mean, seriously, it's like materialism is everywhere. We are, we are a people who live in... It's difficult to be a Christian sometimes in the, the spheres that we live in. I mean, golly, how many, I mean, how many of you have seen the studies the past year that America is by far the most overweight and unhealthy country in the entire world? Right? I got over here, we got sexual promiscuity. Watch television. Actually, don't, but watch it for a minute if you do. Just watch it for one minute. And just see the, the twisted nature of our sexuality today. It's just broken. I mean, I was literally with our junior high boys last night. We sat down and had a long conversation, like this really uncomfortable conversation about sex, right? It was like this, like they're like, yeah, you know, that whole type thing going down because it's just a little bit awkward. But I said, this is the first, said, and some of them said, well, we talked about this with our parents, but this is the first time we really talked about it. So we, we talked about the nature of the sex and, the, and how wonderful it is in the, in the context of marriage, but how, how the enemy is twisted to be something that was never meant to be. And we kind of talked about that and, and their struggle with pornography and how they said, how they're 11 and 12, 13 year olds, they're 12, 13 year old, and they're saying, listen, we're Steve, we're sitting there doing Google searches for Superman. For a project that I'm doing, and these things come up, and I'm like, oh, oh, and it's like, and it's, like it's just disgusting. I mean, our kids are being invaded by this stuff because we live in a broken, in a dark world. Our culture is darkened. Paul, and he he basically comes and he says this, and in verse says this is in verse 18. He says this. He says. I've often told you, since I've often told you before, and I now say again, even with tears, he's broken. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. See, they are living in the dark. They're living in the dark. They're in need of a great light. They're living in this brokenness. They're living in these things that represent darkness, even their own life, represent brokenness. And I would say, and Paul recognizes, like, listen, I'm in tears. Listen, Paul is in tears for a simple reason, because he recognizes this is not what they were created for. They weren't created for these things. These are literally counterintuitive to how God has designed them. And he's in tears saying, you're literally on a path. You're on a path that's not leading to life. You're designed for light. You're living in darkness. So, four things that I want to name this morning, I believe we see here in Paul. And in, in writing to the church of Philippi, number one is this. Those living in darkness, he's saying, are on a path of destruction. Listen, if we are defined by our culture, if we're defined by the way our culture thinks, 
These, even these, this, this short list of things that I named, which is just the beginning of a much longer list of the things that our culture struggles with, that we're overwhelmed by. If we're giving ourselves to these things, that we're sympathetic to these things, that literally it's a path of destruction. It leads to death. It leads to a path of darkness. I'm not trying to call Star Wars on you and say, you're on the dark side, right? But it's one of those types of things, right? There's just this whole dynamic going down that you weren't created for that. But when you walk this path... It is a path of darkness. It's a path of destruction. And Paul, I love the, this, the, the, the um, compassion that he has because he sits there and he sees these people that he loves. And he looks at them and is in their eyes, right? And he's just sitting there saying, I'm broken for you. The Gnostics, I mean, you're literally you're stealing people from Jesus, but I'm broken for you. I'm broken for you. Because you're on a path of destruction and you don't really even know it. Those of us who... And there's, and there's two levels of this. One, there's those who've never really entered into a relationship with Jesus. You've never said yes to Jesus. You're not walking with Him. Then I would just say to you, whether you know it or not, you're on a path of darkness and a path of destruction. Jesus is the only, he is the light of the world. The only way there can be freedom is if we walk into the light. Second thing are those of us who are, who, hey, we're Christians, but we find ourselves even being sympathetic and being drawn towards these areas of brokenness. We feel ourselves being tempted and being drawn. We find ourselves compromising in certain ways and in certain areas. We're pushing, pulling back from holiness, being from Christ-likeness. And we're saying, well, I mean, I can just go over here and do this. I have freedom for this, right? I can, I mean, I'm free. I can just come and ask forgiveness later, right? And what God says is, you, and Paul can say, no, no, you're on a path of destruction and don't even know it. Path of destruction for those living in darkness. Number two. He comes in and in in verse 20, he just says this statement. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. I love that. But our citizenship is in heaven. Second thing we see this morning is that our citizenship is heaven. Our citizenship is heaven. That's beautiful. That's that's, That's crazy. That you're living here on earth, but in reality, you are strangers in a strange and foreign land. You were not actually designed and created for this world. Why? Because it's fallen. It is broken. It's why Jesus in the book of Revelation says, hey, listen, I'm going to come at the very end of time, and this is going to fall away, and I'm going to bring a new unfallen world for you to live in because you can't live perpetually and forever in a broken and fallen place. Why? Because you were created for light, not darkness. You were created for light and not darkness. Our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. You are citizens of heaven if you're in a relationship with Jesus. Which leads to number three. Then our conduct, listen, our conduct must match our citizenship. If you are a citizen of heaven, then act like it. Listen, how many parents have looked at your children and say, I can't believe I raised my son to do that. That's not how we roll in our family. We, are, we're, we don't do that. How many of your parents have ever had to apologize for your children? You say something like, we didn't raise him that way. Right? We didn't raise him that way. He's a citizen of our family, and we didn't raise him that way. And his actions are opposed to his citizenship in our family. 
And Paul is saying, you are a part of the family of God. You are a citizen of heaven. Your conduct must match your citizenship. Let that sink deep into you and actually in some level offend you. Let it offend you. Let yourself think about how you're not fleshing that out. That's a gift of God to recognize your ways of error that are leading you to destruction because you can then turn and lead to life again. Light always, listen, you know you're getting close to Jesus when you're aware of your sin. Why? Because light always exposes darkness. Always. If you're not aware of brokenness in your life and sin in your life, then you're probably not that close to Jesus. Because light always exposes darkness. Our conduct must match citizenship. That's what, in, in verse 17, it just says, Paul says, join with others in following my example. Man! I'll read that again. Let's, let's get out of your Bible head for a second and get into reality and just kind of read this like if he was talking to you today. Paul says, hey, join with others, with everyone else around you, and do what I do. You want to look like Jesus, then imitate me. My life is so holy and so set apart and so in pursuit of Jesus that if you do what I do, it will lead you to him. Follow my example. I don't say that. I like to say, just do as I say. Not do as I do sometimes, right? Man, no, I've got to live this life of doing what I do. Oh, our conduct, not just so we have a legalistic understanding of following Jesus, of like, I've got to do this and do this and do this. No, it's simply a matter of being obedient. God, I love you, so I don't want to do this. Why? Because I'm part of your family. We're family. We don't do that in our family. That's a lot, and it doesn't, that doesn't lead to good places. I love you, so I don't want to do those things. It's an act of love, not of duty. Fourth thing is this. Paul, then, having said that, hey, come imitate me, is this. We are to become, listen, this is, this is overwhelming. We are then to become light for others. Do you hear me? You hear that? We, you, then become light for others. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 11. It says, he says, for you were once darkness, past tense. You used to be darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are now light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Basically, it's expressed in your life, right? So live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Do you know what pleases Him? Have you ever asked Him? And He goes on and says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How do you expose them? By being the flashlight of Jesus wherever you go. You are the light now. So Ephesians, that's what it said. For you were once the darkness, but now you are light. You are a flashlight. Everywhere that you go now, you are shining light into darkness with the way that you live your life. This, my friends, is the story of Christmas. It's not about giving gifts. It's not about the big, fat, jolly man. It's not about any of that stuff. It is about walking in the light, knowing the light, then becoming the light, and shedding the light.
That is Christmas. It's the story of getting outside of ourselves, getting off of our path of destruction, onto the path of light, falling madly in love with Him and knowing everything about Him, being part of His family and having a conduct that's in agreement with our citizenship because we're citizens of heaven now, right? Because He came and brought light into darkness of our culture. And our broken culture now is screaming out, We need light! Who will bring it to us? We're going crazy in darkness! And you go, Here I am, send me Jesus. That's the story of Christmas. So we have, a, we have a opportunity here to model then what Paul's talking about. What did it look like in Paul's life? We talked about it last week. We said that Paul came and he said, guys, I, I just want you to know real clear, I used to be awesome. In fact, I mean, like, I was the best of the best. No one was better than me. I had all this great stuff, right? This is Philippians chapter 3 in the beginning, right? I was the best of the best and everything. But you know what happened? One day I was driving on a donkey and Jesus showed up. And I recognized that all of that stuff, it just didn't matter. And then you know what I did? I just gave everything in my life to go after him, to find him, to pursue him. I just like, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. Like I'm addicted to Jesus, right? I'm addicted to knowing him and sensing his presence. I'm addicted to everything about him. I can't get enough of him. Everything I'm doing is like, to Jesus. And if you're, if you're not crazy, then do the same thing. Because the call of God for every follower of Jesus is to do exactly what I'm doing. If you don't agree with me, God will change your mind. That's what he said. And so last week we named it, we said, this is what you do at Christmas then, right? We're in the season of embracing this. Number one is this. You worship fully. At Christmas in the season, you worship fully. What does that mean? With every single fabric of your being, with every moment of every day, you say, Jesus, my life is a worship act to you. Basically, I'm going to worship you everything, right? It's this worship fully piece. Every bit of part of me is, is going after you. Of everyone, listen, this is, not, this is a part of worship and we sing on Sunday morning, expressing how great he is, experiencing his presence in our lives. But our life is supposed to be worship every moment of every day. So then we said, well, the practical way of doing that is by spending less. Spend less on things that just don't matter with your time and your energy and your finances, right? Think about all the money you waste every year on things you can't even remember what they were. Do you remember any Christmas gifts you got last Christmas? Maybe one. And why do we then spend so much of our energy and time on these things that just don't last? That's why we come and we, give, and we give more. That's the third part. We give more. We give more of our time and our energy to our families, right? Because that's eternal. Your love for your children and your love for your spouse is eternal. Nature. It builds them up and it encourages them. Give fully there. Give more in those areas. Give more of your, of your time to places that are in need. Give more of your money to things that are actually, and people are actually in need, right? That's all we're doing the angel tree. It's the whole point of this. Give more. And then the last thing is, is, is love all. 
This is our expression. That's how we love all. By getting over ourselves and worrying about ourselves and giving to those that are in need. See, that's what Christmas is all about. This understanding of coming and saying, my life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Jesus. And I'm not going to come. And I am going to, I'm going to walk in light. I'm going to walk in light and not in darkness. My citizenship's in heaven, so I'm going, to, I'm going to have a conduct and agreement with that as I, as I worship fully, as I spend less and I give more, so I can love all who are in need. Let's pray. Father, we love you.